You are listening to Season 4 of the Bitcoin Takeover Podcast, a 10-part series in which hardware wallet makers and breakers get interviewed. Before I introduce this episode's guests, let's hear a few words from the show's sponsors. LXMI is a European cryptocurrency exchange whose name is inspired by Lakshmi, the Hindu goddess of wealth, good fortune, and prosperity. It's one of the regulated and legal cryptocurrency exchanges. On LXMI, you can buy bitcoins with most fiat currencies, and you can also do trading with top altcoins. They follow the Not Your Keys, Not Your Bitcoins philosophy with their integrated non-custodial wallet, which helps you manage your own private keys. So if you're into trading, then you don't have to worry about having your crypto frozen by whatever political decisions, since you're empowered to hold and move your coins whenever you wish. It's great to have new players like LXMI that respect your financial sovereignty. LXMI is launching in 2020, and for more information, please check out lxmi.io. If you're not into trading, it's recommended to move your coins to a hardware wallet or some other form of cold storage, and in this episode, you're about to find out why. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of the show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice, and you're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution. Femex is a Bitcoin exchange with derivative trading options, which focuses on speed, robustness, and maximum uptime. Built by former Morgan Stanley executives, it manages to bring simple and accessible Bitcoin trading. In 2020, Femex will also add S&P 500 stocks, stock indexes, Forex, commodities, and more. Sign up today at femex.com slash bonus and receive a bonus of up to $72. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of this show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice. and You're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution. Hi there, and welcome to the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. I am Vlad, and my guest today is Lixin Liu from Kobo, which is a company that focuses on your private key protection, and they have quite some premium services and products which are connected to hardware wallets and cold storage and I think on their website, they even sell the whole package, which allows you to have both a hardware wallet and a steel plate for cold storage. So hi, Lixen. Hi, Vlad. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. And it's good that we get to talk about maybe a company that isn't brought in the spotlight too often. 
Yeah, actually, we're from China, and we didn't get too much exposure before. Yeah, thank you very much for having me again. Yeah, so I guess we should talk about the products of Kobo and what makes you stand apart from the crowd. But before that, I will ask you the question that all the guests of this season have answered. And why should Bitcoiners use metal plates for cold storage and hardware wallets for their private keys, as opposed to other methods like brain wallets, paper wallets, and other DIY methods? <laughs> okay. Uh, I think maybe first I can talk about the brain wallets. Uh, and uh, actually for brain wallets, I have a kind of a horrible story to share with you guys. Uh, which is our the CEO of Kobo, uh, whose name is Discuss Fish. He told me a horrible story happened on him. Uh, the story is he he once had like twelve recovery phrase words memorized just just in his head as others use the brain wallets. Uh, and uh, he's a very disciplined guy. And uh, the very first thing in the morning he got up was to try to repeat the recovery phrases in his head. And uh, the days went by doing this. He was like 100% sure he wouldn't mess up those recovery words, but he was totally wrong. Uh, the following story is he and his wife, they raced two bulldogs. And his wife was actually training the bulldogs to play skateboard at home. And one day, she was playing with one of the dog and uh, left uh, a skateboard at the entrance of a room. But after that, disgust fish walked out of the room and he accidentally stepped on the skateboard and he flipped over and hit the back of his head on the ground. Uh, after that, his first reaction was to check his memory of the recovery phrase, but Unfortunately, he couldn't remember it. He went to the hospital and uh, uh, he spent one day there and he was diagnosed of uh, he was diagnosed of concussion. And uh, after the, after those uh, diagnosed and after those three days, for the next three days, he was trying really, really hard and finally he came up with the last recovery phrase. So I think for brain wallets, this kind of story is a very vivid reminder that if you have a significant amount of crypto assets, please don't trust your brain. Uh, there are all kinds of different accidents that could mess up your memory. And no matter how hard you train your brain or you memorize it every day and repeat it every day, just accidents happens and your, it, your memory will be messed up. Yeah, and I guess most of the times we perceive hardware wallets and steel plates as protections from other people who might be interested in stealing the coins. Yeah. But yeah. they are also protection from ourselves. Yeah, because that's true. we are only as good as our biological bodies allow us to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. For for me, after I listen after I know this story, I would recommend no one if anyone asks me any recommendation on like brain wallets, I would say no, never, never trust your brain. It's, it's not that reliable. Plus, even 
if we you know take care of ourselves and make sure we never get into accidents and stay at home most of the time there is also a degradation over time yeah that's true that's true definitely so let's talk about the kobo tablet as you have mm-hmm. sent me some documentation oh, you, you about also it. asked me like paper wallets right i didn't i didn't talk about paper yeah wallets, right? you, go on oh, okay 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 i think for for the paper wallets i think it's kind of obvious that uh, the metal solution is a better choice because uh, if you put your recovery phrase on a piece of metal, it's waterproof. Uh, it, it's also fireproof and corrosion proof. Uh, so, uh, and also, uh, there are always a lock hole on the metal plate so that you can lock your recovery phrase with a padlock. Uh, yeah, and also, but... I also seen, I've also seen some suggestions on Twitter that some people say that uh, if you put your recovery phrase on two pieces of papers and uh, duplicate them, which means duplicate them on two, two pieces of paper, and that is safer. But actually, actually, from me, my personal perspective, I don't recommend this kind of storage um, because even with paper wallet, you duplicate them, that will uh, increase your robustness against some kind of uh disasters natural disasters like flood or something um but uh that will also increase the chances of theft so if you don't worry about theft you can duplicate it but if you worry about some someone breaking into a home and steal your recoveries away i think that's not a good choice for most of us yeah Yeah. that's for people wallets and uh you also ask the diy methods right yeah, stuff you do okay. yourself. Yeah, okay. For for DIY methods, I have some friends, they do the metal thing by themselves. Uh, I think if you are very a DIY person, you can buy a like something like an engraving pen. Uh, you can easily buy this with around like 30 to 40 bucks on Amazon. And you can find a piece of metal and you can create your own metal storage for the recovery phrase. So... Uh, for people who don't want to to play around with the hustle of the DIY stuff, you can buy some metal storage like Kobo tablet or other products. Yeah, I think that's the main difference between these different kind of methods. Yeah, that's right. But at the same time, mm-hmm. do you think that hardware wallets and metal plates are adversarial in their purpose or are they complementary is it either or or is it better to have just one or have both at the same time uh actually i don't see these products as they are like competing each other uh no matter if you use a hardware wallet or a software like hd wallet you still need to deal with your recovery phrase so uh, the metal plate thing like Kobo tablet, uh, they support all the recovery phrase for any BIP39 hardware or software wallets. Uh, and also, I think you, you also can see that Trezor's official store, uh, you can buy Trezor uh, bundled with Crypto Stew. So you can definitely use them together or you can use the metal plate or metal storage with your software wallet. They're both okay. Or even you use other any desktop or mobile wallets, you can use that. So I think it's complementary. 
Yeah, and that's reasonable. If you want mm -hmm. to get the best security possible, you don't want to just rely on that piece of paper which comes with your hardware wallet or some kind of mm -hmm. notebook that you buy yourself and take notes in it. Yes, yes. And uh, also one reminder, reminder, never take a picture and put it in the cloud service or something. That's really a bad choice for you. Yeah, and sometimes the cloud service automatically gets your pictures. If you have the wrong settings on, in your phone, you take a picture and you're not even aware that it goes into the cloud. And that's how you essentially get hacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's obvious something happens. Yeah, all the time. So let's talk about the Kobo Vault, which is your solution for everything basically it has a hardware wallet it has a steel plate and mm -hmm. it costs almost $500 which i think is the most expensive product on the market mhm mm so okay so uh for the couple vault actually uh so you you are asking that the price thing how we pricing it right not really it wasn't that question just okay. why what makes it so premium you know oh i see i see okay so uh for the for the couple tap for the couple vault uh actually i think um you know that for hardware wallets uh, hardware wallets are very niche market if you compare that to laptops and the mobile phones um but even if it's a niche market all the hardware wallets they should have their uh distinct uh, positioning. Uh, when we designed the Kobo Vault, we were targeting the miners in China, actually. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the mining industry in China, uh, all the mining farms here in China are always built in very isolated places because in those places, the miners can get the best price for uh, the wind or the water electricity. Uh, so as the miners would take the cobalt vault into these isolated regions and rather than just put them at home or put them in a safe or in a deposit box, uh, when we design the product, we want to maximize the security and also the durability of the device. And uh, that comes with a lot of costs. For example, uh, the main body of the device is made by aerospace aluminum and uh, it has a four inch big screen and uh, it also comes with a metal case so that you can put your device into that and also the product has a lot of durability tests like it's uh, ip68 waterproof and also it's ik9 drop resistant and also we even did a uh, american military standard durability test on it, which is military standard 810G, if I memorize correctly. So all this form factor, uh, form factor stuff took a big portion of the pricing of the product. And uh, also on the uh, user experience wise, uh, because we are creating a product for the miners, they're very, very uh, extreme on the security side. So uh, we create a 
totally air-gapped experience for those miners, which means we have a camera on the device, so you can do the QR code scanning to get the unsigned information into the Cobalt Vault, and then the Cobalt Vault can do the signing, do the cryptographic calculation and uh, algorithms, and uh, do the signing work, and it generates QR code again, so then you can use your, we call it hot device, which is connected to the blockchain. You use your hot device to scan the QR code to get the signed message or the signed information, and then you can broadcast it to the, to the internet. So that's the main interaction of the Cobalt Vault. And here, we, because we use the QR code, because we have the camera, and also if you wanted to support the camera, you need, to have, you need to have a much more premium chip. And all this comes with a cost. And all this cost results in uh, maximized security and durability. And that's the, I, th I think that's the design thinking behind the, the Cobalt Vault. That's kind of fascinating. I never really thought about products designed specifically for miners. And I suppose that when you run a mining operation, maybe next to a windmill or a water mm -hmm. wheel or something, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. you're going to require some sort of resistance to natural disasters. Yes. And yes, yes, definitely. For example, I went to one of, for example, uh, the CEO of, uh, maybe I can introduce more about the background story of Kobo. So, uh, for our CEO, his name is Discuss Fish. Uh, he was one of the earliest Bitcoin evangelists in China. And he was like the community leader among the miners. And he, he was also, he's also the CEO of F2 Pool, which is one of the biggest mining pool currently in the world. So uh, actually, uh, our team, the team I'm leading is working on the hardware wallet. We were designing the whole product for people like him. And uh, in order to get more user insights and uh, in order to know more about the miners, he introduced me to, uh, to pay a visit to one of his mining farms in Xinjiang in China. Oh, that was a, like that, that, that journey was really, really interesting. Like I, I flew for like five hours or so and then I took a train, and then I took a car, and then I worked for a long time, and then I got to the to the mining farm. So, and at that place, it's usually some like in in winter there are a lot of like snow. You cannot work there, and also he has another mining farm which is in Sichuan province in China, and uh, that province is really really rainy. So, uh you get wet all the times, not your clothes, but also your home. So you have to use someone, some, some hardware wallet that is waterproof to get into those kind of scenario. Yeah. I never really thought about this because basically I come from a country where you don't have to worry about this kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. But it, it makes sense. I don't think a treasure is resistant to water and natural hazards. I haven't tried that, actually. They yeah, actually, tried to smash them and stuff like that, but I'm not sure if they're tested 
against humidity yeah, and yeah. weather conditions. Yeah, actually, actually, different hardware should build on build for different places, different people, different places, and different scenarios. One thing I can also share is that for Cobalt Vault, uh, when we launched the Cobalt Vault, we sent we sent the Cobalt Vault to one of the KOL, uh, and uh, he he drove his car over Cobalt Vault, and come and back for several times. Uh, and the Cobalt Vault survived those kind of like extreme tests. So, and that is how we design the product and uh, where we put our thoughts into the scenarios of these products. That seems reasonable. Mm -hmm. I feel like we should get back a little bit to the Cobalt Tablet as it's the okay. latest product that you're launching. And it's also... Okay the product for which you sent me some documentation to explain me how it works and mm -hmm. basically help me ask you questions about it. Mm -hmm. So what is special about it as compared to crypto steel and Bill Foddle and other similar metal plates for cold storage? Okay. Um, I think for, um, I think for the product, I, uh, for Cobalt tablet, as I just mentioned that, uh, the metal storage can work with hardware wallet and the software wallet. So uh, the metal storage uh, should be more widely used because uh, we think it sh it's compatible with every like decentralized wallet. So uh, when we were trying to develop the Kobo tablet, uh, we took the price as the first priority to benefit a wider community. So it's totally different from Cobalt Vault. Cobalt Vault, we were designing for the miners and uh, they need maximize the security and durability. But for the Cobalt Tablet, we want to benefit the more people, the better. So the price is the most important. And uh, thanks to the strong manufacturing capabilities here in China, actually in Shenzhen, you can see that the price for Cobalt Tablet is approximately half of crypto steel and the biofado's price i think the price is the first biggest difference between couple tablet and other competitors and uh, uh, aside from the price i think the other big difference is ease of use if you get a closer look at the product uh, during our development actually we asked several random hardwares uh, to come to our office to do a like blind test on how much time they need to set up a Cobalt tablet or a Biofado. And all of them has no prior experience with these kind of products before. So they're like very fresh people. And uh, the result was really, really astonishing. Uh, the average time if I remember correctly, the average time for setting up a Cobalt tablet was around seven minutes. And the setting up build photo took about like average 12 minutes to 13 minutes. And the, the, the biggest difference for user experience between Cobalt tablet and the crypto steel or build photo is that for crypto steel, for crypto steel and build photo, you need to slide in the tiles from the right side. So it's very hard for you to put a tile into the perfect position 
as the slot for the tile is very narrow and tight. And uh, if you find one tile was wrong, you need to take out all the tiles that you have put in and redo the whole process again. So that's why using CryptoSteel and using BuildPhoto is very not that very user-friendly. But with Cobalt Tablet, you just open it and you just put, it, put the tiles in. So that's much easier. And um, yeah, maybe, maybe I cannot explain the experience very well with words. I think if the audiences, if you are interested, you can check out a, I think a YouTube video, which is uh, detailed describing this, kind of, this difference between the products. I think the, the, the YouTuber's name is Crypto Guide, and you can find a video there. It clearly shows the difference. Okay, this also makes me curious. Maybe someday I'll do some mm -hmm. A and B testing to see yeah. what the yeah. difference actually is. Yeah, yeah. And actually here I want to and and actually here I want to share if any audiences you're using this kind of products like Cobalt Tablet or Crypto Steel. Here I actually I want to share another note for everyone of you, which is if you use this kind of stuff, uh after you setting up the Cobalt tablet to the metal thing, you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to the tiles left after you set up this kind of stuff. Because uh, every, no matter Cobalt tablet or crypto steel, uh, they all have a fixed amount of the tiles uh, for each letter. So if you don't dispose of them properly, someone could figure out that what letters you have used for your recovery phrase. So it will be much easier for them to brute force your 24 recovery words then. So for people who use these kind of products, you need to really pay attention to how you deal with the left tiles. I never thought about this, but it makes sense. If somebody wants to hack you, they just yeah. look at the letters that you use and yeah, after that, true. they just input the letters into random word generators. And yeah. I guess the harder part is to figure out the order, but it's still not impossible. Yeah, the order, if they have figured out the 24 words, the order is not that hard because the, the 24th word is the checksum of the other words. So they just do two hash and then they can do the checksum. They even don't need, don't need to check the private key and public key to see whether there are some cryptos on that. They just do the checksum. It's very easy. Right. So on the Kobo website, I can see mm -hmm. that you have two different types of, you call them tablets, but that's a bit misleading in my mind because when I think of tablets, I think of stuff that has a touch screen and works like uh, an iPad. But okay. it's actually like an enclosure which has all the letters to create your yeah. cold storage backup on a metal plate yeah. and you you have the kobo tablet and and you also have the cosmos tablet what's the difference oh okay uh actually the 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 cosmos tablet is a co-branded version of the kobo tablet so we just built that version together as a swag for cosmos community and uh, functionality-wise, they are 100% the same. And also, 
Uh, one thing I can share is currently we're also talking with CodeCard. Uh, we may have a brand, co-branded version for CodeCard, and people may maybe people later can buy a brand co-branded version of the Cobalt tablet on uh, CodeCard uh, official website. And I'm just talking about that with MVK now. I'm also talking with MVK to possibly do an interview mm -hmm. after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You may ask his opinion on the on the metal storage or something. Yeah. But he told me that uh, he was not a big fan of this kind of tile version, but he really liked the punch version. So there are also other uh, punch version because there are mainly there are two kinds of metal storage currently. One is the tile version, like Cobalt tablet. The other is punch version. So uh, you have a hammer and you have a metal plate and you also have a punch uh, stick. So you use your hammer to punch the letter onto the metal. That is also another kind of metal storage. And uh, for that kind of interaction, it's not that elegant or it's not that easy with uh, things like Cobalt tablet, but they are cheaper, but they are cheaper. So according to our original principle of developing Cobalt tablets, which is bring the best product with the best price for the for as many people as possible in the community. So we're also developing a punch version. So for the punch version, it will be much cheaper. I think for Cobalt tablet, it's around 39 bucks now. And for for the punch version, we will control that under 25, 25 bucks, I think. Yeah, it's interesting to me that you have, I guess, the least expensive steel mm -hmm. plate storage yeah, yeah, device yeah. on the market. But at the same time, yeah. you also have the most expensive hardware wallet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, but again, that's the that's the, re the the reasoning behind this is product positioning because we're trying to position different people. And also, one thing, another story I can share here is that uh, last year I went to Bitcoin 2019 and uh, I talked to a lot of normal hodlers there. I talked to a lot of them there. And uh, uh, I found that 95% of them don't care about durability. That is a very interesting found because I only interviewed the miners before. I never interviewed uh, normal hodlers in the States. So I asked them, uh, I asked them that whether they were afraid that their home could flooded if a water pipe explodes or something or any natural disasters that would damage their hardware wallet. And also, as you know, that California is a lot of, there's a lot of uh, forest fires in California and uh, which threatens people's homes. But the answer from them was very interesting. They said, yes, they, they are afraid of those things, but they see them as, a, as very low possibilities. Uh, even if something were to happen, they said they would just buy another hardware wallet because it's only a hundred bucks. So also from those conversations, I think you can tell that uh, positioning a hardware wallet for miners and for others is totally different. And also, uh, after coming back from the conference, uh, our team began to design a product for the normal hardware. We spent almost one year on that, and I think we're going to launch that product around uh, 
uh, late April or early May, and we call it the second generation for Cobalt. Uh, for that generation, for that new generation, the the Cobalt will compromise on the durability side, but doesn't compromise on the security. Uh, just like the current version, which is the first generation, uh, the second generation will will be still be totally air gapped and uh, comes with a camera and it also can do QR code uh, transmissions. And also for the, by the way, for the second generation, we will also support PSBT. And also uh, for the second generation, we will have a open sourced uh, secure element, which is the first one in the industry. Uh, and uh, for the pricing, uh, we are trying really, really hard to control our second generation in the 100 bucks to 200 bucks range so that it's affordable for most of the normal holders. I guess you'll, you're going to need some kind of rebranding there because if it's Kobo Vault Gen 2 or V2, some people will assume that it's better than V1 when it just has uh, some yeah. extra features, but at the same time, it's not as resistant and yeah. tested yeah. as the first generation. Yeah, actually, uh, after we launched the second generation, the first generation will still go on because uh, there are still a lot of miners and also some institutional users. They want the first generation, but we won't call it like first generation or second generation. We may have other uh, naming or branding for these products. Yeah, but yeah, you, what you said is really is very right. Yeah. So let's say that somebody discovers Bitcoin today and mm -hmm. possibly buys a few hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin on an exchange. And at mm -hmm. some point, maybe in a few months, they figure out it's a bad idea to keep their Bitcoins on the exchange because of Mt. Gox and other events that happened before. Yeah. yeah. So first of all, what is the thought process in regards to choosing a hardware wallet, in your opinion? And why should they go for the Kobo Vault? Um, I think maybe it's better if we take this Cobalt Vault as the second generation because I think the first generation is too pricey for a normal hardware. I think if we talk about the second generation of the Cobalt Vault, um, I think if you ask me to give advices on people how to choose their, their hardware wallet, I think the first thing people may ignore is that uh, you really need something with a bigger screen. So I think a lot of people have suffered from the little tiny buttons of uh, Ledger or Trezor or other products. I think that's really hard to use that products if even, even, even because some people's hands, they're really dumb. So with these kind of tiny buttons, it's really not easy to, not easy to use them. And also, Another thing, another benefit for the bigger screen, uh, not only from if you want to type in your passphrase or your recovery phrase, it's easier. Another thing, uh, another benefit which is brought by the big screen is that you can clearly see your address and the amount of money, amount of crypto you are going to send this kind of information. So it's quite clear for you to check the information, which is also increase the security of your crypto. I think that's one thing um, most of the uh, suppliers or vendors of hardware wallets, they, they didn't recognize. 
So I think the big screen is very important. And uh, the second thing I want to emphasize is the secure element. Uh, for the secure element, at, uh, actually here I have some uh, contrary uh, opinion, pop to some contrary opinion on the uh, market, which is actually a secure element can be open sourced. So a secure element is a must. And if it, if the hardware comes with a open source secure element, then it's much better. So, and also with our second generation, we'll open source the firmware of the secure element. Uh, I think that that are the mo most important two things. The third things I the third thing I think is really important is how air gap is your product, uh, because currently most of the products they are. Uh, connected through a USB cable to your laptop, or it's connected to your phone through Bluetooth. Uh, but we all know that for Bluetooth, if you search for like uh, keywords like Bluetooth vulnerability on hackernews.com, this kind of website, you will find there are a lot of like accidents or vulnerabilities for Bluetooth, like mm, main the middle attack, this kind of stuff. So uh, for Bluetooth, it's not a very good choice, I think. Uh, but for also for USB cable, I, because your laptop can be uh, can have some malware on that. So for the USB cable, you never. Uh, I, I I know that in early days, Trezor was uh, in the USB cable. With the USB cable, a hacker can perform a side channel attack on the USB cable of a Trezor. But it's a early thing. Trezor has fixed that. But I w just want to say that the USB cable is also a attack vector. For the hardware wallet, so three things I think. The first is bigger screen for ease of use and uh, better uh, security. And the second thing is the uh, air gap thing. And the third thing is the secure element. And if the secure element is open source, then it's much better. Right. I have had this discussion with Slush in the previous episode. And his okay. opinion on secure elements is that they're a waste of time because they're bound to get hacked. And if you focus too much on hardware and securing, physically securing hardware wallets, you'll just end up in a situation where you have to release a product each year or something just to keep up with what's going on. And he thinks it's a better approach to just focus on the software and make it proof to attacks through stuff like Shamir, backup and passphrase and whatever yeah. Trezor is innovating right now. So first of all, what is your stance in regards to this? And secondly, how is this secure element really open source? Because usually the criticism about them is that mm -hmm. you cannot see all of the code that goes into them. Mm -hmm. uh, actually here, I want to emphasize again that Trezor, I think Trezor is a very great product and uh, uh, they really have contributed a lot to the community. Uh, but uh, I think Slush, uh, he's a little bit biased about the secure element. Uh, just as you said, the the main conflict in the community is that uh, secure element is like a black box with better defense of uh, physical attacks. And uh, uh, the general purpose MCU is... Uh, more like a white box, but with zero defense from the physical attacks. Uh, here, first, I think uh, uh, 
here, I I think one one thing on Twitter I can share is that uh, if you are paranoid, then you can be one thousand times wrong and you still got your crypto. But if you are not paranoid, you can get one time wrong and your crypto will be gone. I, I don't remember the the exact word, but it's just the meaning. I think you got it. But here I want to share is. Uh, for the secure element, it's definitely a plus to help you to better crypt, better protect your crypto. Even if with some software uh, tactics as uh, Shamir's secret sharing or the passphrase, you can still use a secure element thing and you can add those kind of tactics to your hardware. It's not, the, it's not about you can use the software tactics so that you can uh, forget about the physical attack. I, I personally, I really don't agree with that. Uh, and also mentioning the open source thing for secure element, I think most of people will be interested in that um, because uh, currently, I think all the people in the industry will say that uh, you will sign a NDA with the secure element vendor and you cannot share anything of the secure element. Actually, this is not the choose because uh, if you are because it's like a negotiation between the hardware vendor and the, the secure element vendor. If you are strong enough, if you or if you pay enough money, you can still open source a secure element. So from our situation, uh, our situation is that we cannot open source the whole design of the secure element. But here, one noted that if you use a general purpose MCU, you still cannot open source the whole design of the MCU. You still open source the firmware on the MCU, on the general purpose MCU, which is just as Trezor did. So for us, we choose a secure element and we negotiate with the vendors of a secure element and we open source the firmware of the secure element. So with the firmware, people can see that uh, first the uh, entropy comes from a true random number generator, uh, TRNG, from the secure element. The second, your how your master private key is generated. The third, how your like child private key are derived from your master private key. And the fourth, every cryptographic calculation or cryptographic algorithm happens within the secure element. And the last is that your your private keys never leaks out of the secure element. So from the firmware, you can see everything. You can see how it works in the secure element. And also you can verify the code. So I think by doing this, we're also we are adding a much stronger or an extra layer of tra transparency to the secure element. And also later, we will allow, we will, uh, we will allow people to like, to modify the firmware of the secure element and you can upload the, your customized firmware of the secure element onto the secure element, which means you can just build your own like hardware wallet on a secure element. And here, uh, people, I also checked, I also talked to Slush. Slush also criticizes this on like, uh, oh, you cannot share the data sheet of the secure element. But actually, if you have strong enough negotiation power, you can share the data sheet. 
for us later, if someone wanted the data sheet of the secure element, they just need to do very, very simple online paperwork. They, if they can, if a uh, cypherpunk or a geek, uh, he wants to get the data sheet of the secure element, they just need to sign an online NDA with us and we can share that with him. And also we can, they, he can, he or she can purchase a development board of the secure element from us so that he can almost play anything on the secure element. So that's how we do the secure element open source. We cannot open source the whole thing. Even the general purpose MCU cannot open source the whole thing and the secure element doesn't. But what we can do is open source the firmware and you can see how, how it is working and how everything going on within the secure element. That's our strategy of open source. So Ledger published an article two weeks ago, and mm -hmm. it's called Not All Chips Are Born Equal. And I, I think it got quite popular on social media around the time. Yes. And in their classification, they say that the stuff that Cold Card and Bitbox use are not really security elements, secure elements, but they're actually safe memory chips which are not as secure as they're designed for the secure element. And their argument basically is that you cannot quite have the security of a secure element with full transparency. So how, how do you make that work? Uh, actually, uh, I th actually, for the first part, you asked that whether code card or Bitbox is using a secure element. Here, I think the main conflict is your definition of the secure element. For us, uh, from our perspective, code card and Bitbox, they are definitely using a secure element, but they're not using a very premium secure element, which means their secure element is more leaning towards uh, better storage of some sensitive information rather than some uh, cryptographic algorithms on that. I think that's the main difference. So the ledger the secure element can do the cryptographic calculation, but the uh, code card and Bitbox, their secure element is not that premium so that uh, it only does the storage work. But you cannot say that they are not using a secure element. They are using a secure element. We cannot mess up, mess up the truth here. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, uh, for the transparency for the secure element, just like I said, for the secure element, if we open source the firmware, it's just like we open source the firmware, just like Trezor open source the firmware of a general purpose MCU. Because for the design of the normal MCU or for the design of the normal MCU and the design of the secure element, they both cannot be open sourced. But it's easy to verify the secure element with the open source firmware. Here, the logic may be not that easy to understand, but for the secure element, if we open source the firmware, then there are two important things. One is the true random number generation. So this is not in the firmware. This is like the uh, implant, uh, implemented library in the implemented function in the secure element. 
But actually, you can bypass that true random number generation. And just like uh, what CodeCard did, they allows people to generate their own entropy with a dice. So you don't need to trust the true random number generation of the secure element. You can generate your you can generate your own entropy with the dice, and from the entropy you you input you type into the device, the device will uh, do the calculation, do the algorithms of the cryptographic to generate your private keys based on your entropy rather than the true random number generator on the secure element. So that, that part is black box, but this black box, you can bypass that. You can do that by yourself. And uh, for the second part, people may think the black box on the secure element is, uh, or the again, if you open source the firmware of the secure element, the second part of the black box is the uh, cryptographic algorithm. So for that part, it's very easy to verify that because you can use other, because all the, all the cryptographic algorithm, algorithm is like universal, just like ECDSA, there are universal algorithms. You can easily verify those results of those algorithms by another device or even with some um, Python libraries. You can easily verify that. So the most important two parts, one is two random number generation and uh, cryptographic algorithms, they're in the black box of the secure element. But one can be bypassed, the other can be easily be verified. So again, jump back to, to our open source strategy. If we open source the firmware of the secure element, then the secure element is just as transparency as a general purpose MCU. So it's almost a totally a white box then. Okay, so how is the secure element comparable with the one that you find in the cold card and the bit box? Mm, so for the secure element, we use uh, our secure element just has more RAM and more memory in the secure element. And the secure element also uh, support some cryptographic, it's uh, pre-installed some cryptographic algorithms into the secure element. So after we open source our firmware of the secure element, you will see that in the, in the firmware, we just call a function. It's just like we call a function uh, which is pre-installed into the secure element as the cryptographic algorithm. So it's just like a pre-installed function. And in the firmware, you call it, and the, the function can be verified easily. And uh, our secure element supports those kind of pre-installed crypt cryptographic function, and it has more RAM. So uh, it's more premium than the secure element that code card is using, and also than the uh, secure element that Bigbox is using. I feel like we have clarified this part about hardware and there's mm -hmm. definitely going to be some interesting stuff going on with the second generation of the Kobo vault with the camera and QR code scanning and all of that mm -hmm. and gear gapping. But what about the software? How much of the software in the current generation Kobo vault okay. is auditable and open source? And how much of it is going to be open sourced in the next generation? Okay. 
uh, for the next generation, uh, I think you know that open source is not a like a one day work. So uh, for the next generation, first we will open source the whole code on the we call it on the code end, which is on the Cobalt Vault end. And uh, for the app, currently we're using an iOS and uh, Android mobile app to support people to uh, do the QR code transmission and uh, to get a balance from the blockchain and to broadcast the uh, broadcast the transactions. Uh, uh, for that part, uh, we currently we don't have a clear timeline to open source that part. But the point is, uh, because Cobalt Tablet has the uh, QR code here, and it's very easy to decode the QR code or encode the QR code. So Cobalt Tablet, uh, Cobalt Vault is definitely can definitely be used with uh, third party wallets, just like Electron. So if you don't trust our mobile app because it's not, if you think it's not open source and you don't trust it, it's okay. Uh, you can use some. We will we will also make some Electron plugins for people to uh, easily decode or encode the. QR code so that you can use the Cobalt Vault with third-party wallets like Electron. Yeah, that's definitely useful. And I, I think you should also integrate with Wasabi as that turns out to be quite a popular choice because of Tor routing and all of that privacy extra. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, we will, actually, we will also open source the QR code protocol so that you will see that how our QR code, how the raw transaction is assembled and what's the like the default format of this QR code. So any third third party hardware wallet, any third party wallets, they can integrate Cobalt Vault very easily. You just need to follow our format to assemble the unsigned transaction and to generate a QR code and then you can use Cobalt Vault to scan the QR code than to sign the message and sign the transaction. So it's very easy. And uh, also Cobalt Vault will support PSBT. So it's definitely, so I think you know for PSBT is definitely uh, for the scenarios of like coin join. And also PSBT will support multi-signature between different hardware wallets. So uh, even without our uh, app, which is the app on iOS or Android phone, you can definitely use Cobalt Vault with any third-party wallets if they have support the QR code thing there. Right, but I guess you haven't answered about the current generation of the Cobalt Vault. How much of okay. the software in it is open source? Uh, currently, uh, currently for the first generation of Cobalt Vault, we only open source the secure element code but we didn't open source the upper layer software on the Cobalt Vault. So currently, uh, the first generation of Cobalt Vault is not fully open sourced. Okay, I'm happy about the clarification because yeah. my next question is about to be about building your own. If you're going to follow this philosophy that Trezor and also Coldcard mm -hmm. recently have pursued to basically make a list of the components that you need to build your own and also offer you the software just in case you're in a part of the world where you mm -hmm. cannot order the product and you want to build your own? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so, uh, sorry, what was the question? I, I didn't get it, sorry. Yeah, if you are ev ever going to allow people to build their own Kobo vaults. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for building Kobo vaults, we offer another, another route, which is much more, uh, I think, much more hardcore, is that, uh, just like I mentioned, we will offer people the development board of the secure element. So like I just offer you a raw secure element on a circular board and you can manipulate the whole circular board and the secure element by yourself. So I think that's a much more hardcore way of open source the whole thing. You don't you don't need to you don't need to build your you don't need to build your circular board for the Cobalt vault. We just give you the development board of the secure element. And you just build your stuff upon the secure element. You, you see what I mean? So we don't, we, don't ask, we don't ask people to rebuild the Cobalt vault. We ask people to build their own based on the secure element that Cobalt vault use. All right. Sounds reasonable to me. So we have discussed about the hardware. We have discussed about the software. Mm -hmm. And I guess we should talk about more stuff about the competition because everyone else has done it who has mm -hmm. been in this podcast. So yep. I have challenged everyone who participated this season's podcast mm -hmm. to say something nice and something bad about other competitors. And... Kobo yeah. is competing right now with Trezor, with Ledger, with Keep Key possibly, with Cold yeah. Card, and also yeah. Bitbox 2 So let's get them in some sort of order, and you get to say something nice and something bad about them. <laughs> okay. Let's start okay. with Trezor. Okay. Uh, just like I mentioned, I I want to say like I I love Trezor the most among all these products. Uh, not only because it's the first hardware wallet, uh, but also they're they're just a giant. We we take Trezor as a giant, and we we take all the other hardware wallet vendors. We stand on the shoulders of this big giant to build better products for the market. So, and also another thing I want to emphasize for for the reasons I like Trezor the most is the transparency of Trezor, uh, if you look closely at the block, uh, at the Trezor's block, which explain the details about the bugs and uh, about the vulnerabilities, you can see that they even disclose how much time they spent on each block of vulnerability. I think this kind of transparency is really, really good and makes people trust this brand trusted this product so i think treasure is like a teacher for all of us for all the other hardware vendors um, but just like i said uh, what i cannot agree with treasure is the security structure that comes without a secure element so i think that's but that's also the reason uh, I won't purchase a treasure to store my personal assets on it. So because it's not with this requirement, it cannot survive from physical attacks. So uh, for, 
for I think the second best one in my mind is Code Card um, because uh, NVK I think I I like I like Code Card mostly because of NVK because he's the he's the most paranoid guy I've ever known in this industry and. Uh, in order to make something like code card, uh, because you need to think about all the attack vectors in advance, so you really need some strong imagination. And NVK is that kind of guy who's very paranoid and who really has some imagination, especially on the attack vectors. Uh, and they have some very interesting features like uh, anti-phishing pin input, I'm not sure you know that. Uh, so for that feature, you just input the first half of your pin, and then you see a word. If the word is correct, you input the second half of your pin. So this kind of tactics can prevent uh, evil made attacks if a evil made exchange your product into some something with malware on it. So this kind of feature is you can call it paranoid, but this kind of feature really helps people to protect them from different kinds of attacks, attack uh, vectors. And uh, uh, if you ask me to criticize code card, uh, I think the, 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 the bad part for code card is that my wife cannot use it. <laughs> but as NVK said, he's designing code card for himself and for people who, who are like him. I think that is not a decide disadvantage, I think that is kind of, also like I said, it's the product positioning. So NVK is just trying to make a product for himself, not for my wife. So it's not a disadvantage, but if it's more user-friendly, I think it would be much better for code card. Um, Let's go for, with Ledger. Yeah, yeah, Ledger, Ledger. For Ledger, I think I, I really admire Ledger because they introduced the secure element into the industry. So, uh, but I think if Ledger can, uh, they can open source more on the secure element, like the firmware, I think that would be great. Yeah, that's that's for Ledger. Um, but and but also I'm a user from the first generation uh, Ledger Nano S, and for Ledger Nano S, I think one uh, disadvantage is that you need to install the apps into your Legend NOS to support different kinds of coins. And uh, usually the memory is not enough. So sometimes if you wanted to add one more coin into the Legend NOS, you have to delete some old one. So I think that's one of the um, disadvantage of the ledger. Yeah. What about the Bitbox? Uh, the Bitbox, actually, uh, I just got the, I, I, I was not a user for the first generation. So I just, I think yesterday or the day before yesterday, I just got the Bitbox second generation. And uh, so I, I cannot share too much about that because I haven't got time to put my own hands on the product. But I think Bitbox, they are, they are very clever uh, by doing separate the product into two versions. One is for the multi-chain version and uh, a second one for the BTC-only version. I think the BTC-only version brings some simplicity 
into the product for people to have a better like uh, feeling of the product that it's because simplicity always brings security. So I think that's very smart for for big for big box. Yeah. So you haven't found anything that you don't like about it yet. You mean for Bitbox? Yeah. For Bitbox? Uh, yeah. I, I didn't I didn't play with the second generation and I was not a user of the first generation. So um, currently I cannot see any things to criticize Bitbox. Right. Then what about the KeepKey, which I guess has been around for like four or five years? Yeah. Uh, actually, I've been using uh, KeepKey in early days. Uh, I think, uh, but I didn't follow KeepKey's later updates too much. Uh, but in the early days I use it, I still can remember that uh, KeepKey's software wallet experience uh, is much better than Ledger uh, because it's very simple and easy to uh, to get your hands on it. It only, if I remember correctly, it only supports Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, or another coin, only four coins on it. And it's super easy to play with. You don't need to worry about the different apps. You don't need to worry about uh, different like uh, features. It's very simple to start using it. So it's very user-friendly, I think. Um, but again, for if you ask me to criticize KeepKey, I think uh, the most uh, downside for KeepKey is that uh, it doesn't come with a secure element. I think that's the worst part because from my perspective, secure element is a must. Yeah, I mean, they began as a clone of the Trezor, but provided that larger, large screen, which shows the entire address. And that's mm -hmm. nice. It's robust. It's nice. I didn't like that. It has that connectivity issue, which they never fixed. Sometimes when you connect the cable, it just doesn't oh. work. Oh, really? Okay, I, I didn't use KeepKey too much, so I think I didn't encounter these kind of issues before. Yeah, uh, it happened to me, and then I went on YouTube, and I saw that. Oh, really? Somebody else had the same issue, <laughs> and I said, "Okay, so okay, it's common." If it, okay, I didn't get okay. a defective unit or something. Okay, okay, but it's solid and it's very robust, mm -hmm. and the cheapest yeah, and on I market right now. Yeah, I still remember one tiny, one little detail of KeepKey. Uh, that is, you need to uh, long press the button to confirm a transaction. So that is very interesting. So if you uh, stop during the circle, uh, fully get the full circle and the, the, the signing stops. So that's very interesting this kind of little interaction on the product. So I wanted to ask you something else about the Kobo Vault software. And mm -hmm. will you allow connection or connectivity to a full node that is owned by the user to oh, minimize okay. the amount of data that gets shared and increase privacy, basically? Okay. Uh, currently, for the first generation, uh, for the software side, it's connected to our node. Uh, I think Trezor is doing the same thing because just like Trezor, we are a multi-chain wallet. So 
if you are building a multi-chain wallet on the software structure-wise or on the development structure-wise, it's easier to do that, that you send a message to your own server and ask your own server or your own node or, or the vendor's node to give the user their balances and other verification informations. It's much easier to build a multi-chain uh, wallet on this structure. So uh, for Cobalt Vault, the first generation, we follow this structure. So currently, and also it's a mobile app, so we're not supporting uh, you connected the software wallet to a full node or something like that. Um, for the second generation, uh, for the most normal users or the most average users, we will still follow this strategy. But like I said, uh, the QR code is easy to get encode and get decode. So uh, you can easily make it compatible with Electrum or with your full node with your Bitcoin core. It's very easy. So, and also for the second generation, we are also uh, in our roadmap, we're going to develop a SPV software wallet on your mobile side for Bitcoin only. And uh, for that thing, it will be SPV version. So it will have better privacy protected than the normal version of the software wallet, but it's not as good as full node. Again, if you wanted to play with the full node with Cobalt Vault, uh, currently, I think the solution for you is do it with, with Electrum or with Bitcoin Core. Right. And speaking of privacy, I want to ask you something else. So let's say that I go on your website right now and I order the yep. Cobalt Vault for $479. That's the price mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And are you going to store my home address or does the Cobo Vault have a serial number that you can track and associate with me as a user? Mm -hmm. uh, for the first question, uh, actually here I may have some uh, information sharing, which is for our website, the website you see you place the order. Uh, this website is built on Shopify. It's not built by us. Uh, Shopify is like, it's a Canadian company that provides this kind of e-commerce platform or you can call it e-commerce solution uh, for companies like us. And uh, you can also take Shopify just as the WordPress if you wanted to build your own blog. So it's just a platform. And uh, first, your order information is not stored in our server but it is stored in Shopify server. And uh, uh, here, another thing I can share is that uh, Shopify has a really strong bounty program. And uh, Shopify is one of the, uh, and Shopify has the, like, if I remember correctly, Shopify has the highest paid bounty program on HackerOne.com. So you can take Shopify as an e-commerce platform that's most secure, uh, e-commerce solution currently in the world, even though it's not very cheap, it's much more expensive than other competitors. So we use Shopify and the, your address is in Shopify's server, not in our hand. And uh, for your second generation, uh, here your serial number, here for your serial number, we never uh, transfer your serial number back to our server. So that means, uh, 
if you use the software wallet on the mobile side, we will see that the uh, crypto moves from here and there, but we cannot associate those funds with a specific serial number of the hardware device. And uh, later, after we open source the firmware, uh, after we open source all the code of the second generation Kobo Vault, I think it's very easy to verify that we didn't uh, transfer any serial number back to our server, this kind of thing. Yeah, it's very, it would be very transparency, very transparent, sorry. All right, so there is no way for your company to know that it's I who owns like 0.5 Bitcoin and know that all the no time. No way. Because I connect to your no servers, way. basically. So you have this yeah. watch on the power, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we know that someone is using Cobalt Vault and he has 0.5 Bitcoin. We only know this thing, someone. But we cannot associate with this uh, 0.5 BTC to a specific serial number or to a specific address. We cannot do that. Okay, that's good to know. And I always ask this question because mm, thank it's you. useful for privacy. Yeah, I think everyone of us should pay attention to the privacy because the privacy is like the like the the future of your security if you don't pay attention to your privacy one day you or your assets will be lost yep it's like a predetermining factor if you give away too much information people can just mm -hmm. collect it and figure out patterns and see stuff and they can social engineer to find out more about you and what you do and any yeah. kind of information social. can that you can yeah. also put into passwords and stuff like that it can get hacked yeah and with bitcoins yeah. it's even engineer. it's even more delicate because unlike your bank account where your money can be recovered by the bank there is mm -hmm. no third party that can recover your bitcoins ever no nope. So I guess and this also, is yeah. the worst kind of hacking. If somebody steals your TV from your house, I guess you can find that TV by serial number somehow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, somehow. Yeah. Also, the the TVs leaking uh, like electricity or electronic waves, so you can track the waves. But for hardware wallets, it's protected. Yeah, and. Usually I look at this whole community and I realize that Bitcoiners are much more cautious about both their mm -hmm. security and their privacy. And sometimes I ask myself, why doesn't this happen to the Ethereum people? Why do they seem to be so confident about their light wallets on their phones and they don't care much about running their full nodes to validate their own transactions and be sure that the balance that they have is actually real and is verifiable according to their own full nodes and why do you think that these altcoin holders don't care much about custody and mm -hmm. security mm. i think uh for bitcoin and uh, for other altcoins uh like uh just like you said for the chips they are not born equally or they are not born in the same situation. 
So for Bitcoin, it was born to uh, fight against the uh, the bad privacy situation uh, under your government, your governance, and also uh, the purpose of Bitcoin is to give you full financial sovereignty. I think that's the whole purpose of Bitcoin. And uh, after the birth of Bitcoin, everyone is trying to improve Bitcoin to achieve that. So from my perspective, um, privacy and the security of your assets is like naturally born with Bitcoin. And everyone take that for granted. I just, if I own some Bitcoin, I want to maximize my security, my privacy to better protect my assets from other like third parties. Uh, but for other coins like uh, Ethereum or EOS or Tron or anything, uh, they were not born for this purpose. They were born for building another like world, world computer or they're born to build another ecosystem for something else rather than for security and privacy. So it's also like from my perspective, uh, all the coins, BTC or other altcoins, they have their own positioning. For Bitcoin, it's helping people to gain your personal or your financial sovereignty. So that's why I think BTC uh, holders care that much about uh, security and privacy. Right. So, Lexen, I'm not sure if I have any more questions for you at this time. So I want to thank you for your time. And I know it should be kind of late in China right now. It's okay. It's okay. So do you have any closing words or anything that you want to say? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, we have done a lot of work on the second generation. And uh, with the first generation, it's proved in China with the miners here to be the most secure hardware wallet here in China. And with the second generation, with a more uh, compatible uh, price, uh, with a better price and with a with PSBT, with QR code, uh, totally air-gapped, completely air-gapped interaction, uh, we wanted more people to, we want to help more people uh, in in the states or in Europe to better have their uh, crypto in security hardware wallets. That's what we want to do. And uh, yeah, and also we're open to uh, cooperate with any third-party wallets to uh, implement uh, or to uh, to make the product can work together. And also. Yeah, and also we are open to any opportunity to co-brand on the Cobalt tablet. And uh, yeah, that's I think that's the final word. Thank you. Okay, I wish you the best of luck and thanks mm-hmm. for doing this interview. I guess it's useful to step outside of the usual big names. Yeah, thank you too. Thank you so much. By the way, I, I really like the intro music of your podcast it makes me feel really like futuristic and uh, something like more something like very cypherpunk i think yeah i really like it oh thank you i actually thank recorded it and it's my composition oh really wow that's really cool <laughs> yeah thanks okay
Yeah, so let's hear a few words from the show's sponsors. LXMI is a European cryptocurrency exchange whose name is inspired by Lakshmi, the Hindu goddess of wealth, good fortune, and prosperity. It's one of the regulated and legal cryptocurrency exchanges. On LXMI, you can buy bitcoins with most fiat currencies, and you can also do trading with top altcoins. They follow the Not Your Keys, Not Your Bitcoins philosophy with their integrated non-custodial wallet, which helps you manage your own private keys. So if you're into trading, then you don't have to worry about having your crypto frozen by whatever political decisions, since you're empowered to hold and move your coins whenever you wish. It's great to have new players like LXMI that respect your financial sovereignty. LXMI is launching in 2020. And for more information, please check out lxmi.io. If you're not into trading, it's recommended to move your coins to a hardware wallet or some other form of cold storage. And in this episode, you're about to find out why. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of the show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice. and You're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution. Femex is a Bitcoin exchange with derivative trading options, which focuses on speed, robustness, and maximum uptime. Built by former Morgan Stanley executives, it manages to bring simple and accessible Bitcoin trading. In 2020, Femex will also add S&P 500 stocks, stock indexes, Forex, commodities, and more. Sign up today at femex.com slash bonus and receive a bonus of up to $72. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of this show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice. and You're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution.